0: Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bolland. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Lane Raspberry. Why don't you tell us about yourself?
1: Thank you for having me, Michael. I edit Wikipedia. I'm actually a staff Wikipedian at a university, the University of Virginia. At the university, I support any of the professors, students, researchers in sharing whatever they like on Wikipedia so that it can reach larger audience and people can be more informed.
0: So I definitely want to dive into into that and you know, what exactly it is you do, but want to know a little bit more about you. You were born in Texas, if I read correctly? That's
1: right. I grew up in rural Southeast Texas, and that is part of my Wikipedia story, where I grew up there wasn't a a convenient library for me to access. And at the time, when someone's growing up, whatever experiences they have, that just seems normal. But when I got older and I went to university, I realized that some of my peers had access to libraries and better educational resources. And when I thought back about how I accessed the library and what kind of education I had growing up in a rural community, I was a bit envious, and it made me think, Why do some people in the world have more access to information? Why do some people have less? Now, even though I was in Texas, it it was very fortunate because at least there was a library within biking distance. I could ride my bicycle and get to the library. But, of course, there's many people around the world who don't even have that much of an option. And I've uh, cared about access to information ever since then.
0: Got it. So any reason why you chose University of Washington over a more local university? Was just to kind of get out and get away from separate yourself from home a little bit.
1: That's exactly what the what the reason was. I'm <laughs> I'm a gay male and I was growing up in the I had my teenage years in the 90s. At the time, the world was a different place. Younger people and future people who listen to this podcast, they're going to have challenges understanding the context of this, but it was difficult to be openly gay. There was a lot of discrimination actually in the United States homosexuality was only decriminalized in the early 2000s, and this was because of a court case in Texas. So I thought that I would go somewhere else, kind of have a fresh start, see if I had better luck in a city than I had in a rural area. At the time, I I, I did have internet and communicated with people online in my teenage years from 1995. There was a, a Windows product called Windows 95. It got a lot of people online and I had easier access to, to the internet through through my high school and in other ways. So I had some conversation with people, but what I didn't realize at the time when I moved across the country to frankly get away from Texas, <laughs> I, I didn't realize at the time that this was a shared experience that many gay people have. That is, they leave the rural area and then they meet each other in the city. And what do you know? Everyone says, where are you from? Where are you from? And everybody's from the farm. Right. So I had that experience.
0: Got it. What was your experience like at University of Washington?
1: Well, they had a big library. That was, <laughs> that was one thing. So as soon as, as soon as I got to the city, I, I immediately went to the university library and I tried to get a, a library card there. And there was a different procedure. They said, you can, you can use the library resources. And I thought, that's interesting. I can just go here. So if you're geographically located near a library, you can actually go and use the resources there. So I explored the library even, even uh, in the time before I was in, enrolled in the school. And besides that, there was an excellent public library system in Seattle, I eventually toured all the branches of the library. It was something I wanted to do. I could check out books. They, they would give me books. I could just order whatever I wanted and it would show up in my local library. Nice. And I thought it was fantastic. Just in general, it was a, it was a wealthier community in Seattle. And there were all kinds of benefits right. that weren't available as community services where I grew up. Got it.
0: Um, you did a little traveling around the globe. Was that while you were still in college or was that kind of like post-grad type stuff?
1: It was immediately after I finished my undergraduate degree. While while I was studying, I, I I was in Seattle and I met people from India while I was in Seattle, and I had never met never met people from India when I when I lived in Texas. They they just weren't weren't in that community. Mm-hmm. And with, within the first week of my arriving in Seattle, there was an Indian restaurant in the neighborhood where I was living, and it. Just surprised me. I thought, oh, does this mean that Indian people live in this neighborhood? Why would somebody go to eat at an Indian restaurant if they weren't from India? What does this mean? Can anyone go there? Just these ideas. So rural people just have a different experience than urban people, and there were were many surprises in Seattle. I, I came to realize that there were many Indian people in Seattle because Seattle has software development, and people from India do that. Seattle has medical research, and there's very good medical schools in India, and Seattle also has aerospace for Boeing, and Indian people, uh, India produces a lot of engineers. And, okay. and there was Indian communities in Seattle. I studied India, uh, took classes on India, learned about the culture while I was in undergraduate. I went to India after that. And the reason why I went to India was to train people, local people there, how to make websites and, and share information. So again, my the point of my trip was, was making knowledge more accessible in, in other places. God,
0: that's pretty admirable. <laughs> um, what are some of your more memorable experiences while you were in India?
1: The, the challenges of doing things. So the first time I went to India, I had edited Wikipedia before I went. So just to put this in context, Wikipedia was established in, in 2001. I graduated from university in 2006 and, I was in, in India the following year, two, 2007. I first edited Wikipedia in 2004, but at the time there were a lot of options for sharing information online. And the option which I was most interested in at the time was WordPress. This is a platform for people to set up a website or a blog. It, it, it actually has a lot of functions. And someone can take this WordPress software at, out, of, out of a box Install it on a server, and then it's very easy for them to make a website sharing whatever kind of information they want. And at the time, I thought, okay, India has a lot of English-speaking people, and maybe I can navigate a bit with with Hindi language. And I know that it's internet-connected, and people are very interested in these kind of things. Could I? Would it be possible for me to go to nonprofit organizations? show them WordPress, help them share information. And then these local communities in India, if they have something they want to share with the entire world, it's on the internet. Any, anyone in the world can, can access this kind of information. I didn't realize at the time that you really need these kind of social interventions to come from a local person. You can't have a foreign person go into a community where they're not a member and do these kind of inter- interventions and make these things happen. So at best that I could do was meet other students, Maybe convince them and the student could bring it, but me as an outsider, there, there was really no place for that. I, I can so imagine I'm,
0: the, the skepticism yeah. that comes along with that, um, especially you know how we've we've seen information used, I'll call it, inappropriately. Um, yes, yes. I'm a big fan that that I think that people who are in positions of power, whether we're talking politics or athletes, entertainers, things like that, I I personally feel that they have a responsibility to speak truthfully when when they know what they're going to say. Holds a lot of weight, and people are gonna just believe it as as of its gospel. I kind of think that they have a responsibility to be careful with their words. Now, I understand that you know freedom of speech and and all that other fun stuff, but that's just my my personal personal take on that. Um, It's
1: it's very correct. So that was hmm. that's a very prescient view. Actually, nowadays we're talking so much about misinformation online. Right, people were very innocent back then. This conversation about misinformation—it <laughs> it wasn't part of the the, the global discourse at that time.
0: So, you, you kind of threw a lot out to, to a lot to unpack there. Um, what was your first interaction with with Wikipedia? How did you get involved with Wikipedia and editing for them?
1: I'll, I'll tie, tie all this together, okay. and there's, 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 a, there's a name for what I do. And the reason why I'm telling this story to you, this isn't a, about me. This is about a, a shared experience, a social movement that's happening right now that has hundreds of thousands of people participating in it regularly and millions of people who participate in it from time to time. I'm talking about the open movement, the idea that there should be public information, educational resources, media that's available online for free for anyone to use, reuse, access, remix as they like. And by and by, when, when I was trying to teach people how to share information on WordPress, my intent was to, to get educational and, and informative information out online by people who didn't have access to publishing resources in an inexpensive way, and this would this would benefit everybody if more people could join this, this global conversation. I started committing more heavily to Wikipedia when I realized that Wikipedia was winning the, the non-profit media game, that Wikipedia's popularity had grown. So there were many, many websites that were trying to share information, and people had all these kinds of ideas about what the internet was going to look like. Right. But when I started right. to realize that Wikipedia is getting very popular for general reference information, it, this was in about 2008, so after my trip reflecting why... why what would be the usefulness of people making their own websites and thinking about what, pro- what problems were happening with there. And I thought, well, if people make their own websites, that's not a guarantee that users are actually going to find that website, go to that website. Right. But if I can put information where people are already going, then the audience is guaranteed and, and people seem to be going to Wikipedia. So that, that was, that was my turning point in my, Real commitment into the open movement, recognizing that Wikipedia shares my values and and also that it's 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 part of this this movement.
0: I I, I like that idea. I, I think that, and it, I, th- I think it has to do with the fact that I have a very big problem with how information is being used currently. like we were speaking about earlier, um, the, the way information is being used and things that are pretty objective are being viewed or pushed as being subjective. Um, it, there's this big push about disinformation and Absolutely. being anti-intellectual. Anti um,
1: Absolutely.
0: How does Wikipedia go about deciphering its facts? Like where, are they, where do you guys source your information from?
1: First, I'll say that Wikipedia has a, a quality control and fact-checking process. So some people have the idea, Wikipedia is an encyclopedia that anyone can edit, and some people have the idea that that means it's anarchy or chaos, or that there's uh, moderators lording over their their tiny sections of Wikipedia, being dictatorial about what information goes in and and what goes out. We have certain rubrics in Wikipedia, we have quality control processes, we teach these, it's a transparent process, so if anybody wants to see who's reviewed what and what kind of disputes there are, we, we try to be transparent about what's happening and how decisions are getting made. Briefly, I can can tell you the building block of Wikipedia. The building block of Wikipedia is the citation attached to a claim. That is, if there's a sentence, it should be followed by a citation to a source. Now, once you have a citation there, there's other kinds of quality control that we can do, like grade the quality of the source. We can find out how often is this source used on Wikipedia? What do we know about the publisher or the author? We can start critiquing it. Often, for the most popular sources, we, we take them for granted. Like if some, something has a, a, a reputation for objective reporting, uh, academic peer-reviewed papers, for example, or uh, newspapers of record, the major national newspaper of a given country, mm. we tend to put more, more weight on those kind of things. But we'll actually accept and critique any kind of source that someone has, and if, if someone has complaints— we'll hear them out about that source. Besides just the sources, we're also trying to match is the claim that someone wrote in Wikipedia, does it actually mirror the claim in the source? Are they interpreting it correctly? And usually this system of of citation, it it works very well. I'd, I'd like to add that in Wikipedia, We use citations more heavily than any other publication. It's unprecedented. So if you're a college professor, you're reading reading and writing academic papers, they don't put a citation on every sentence. That's not part of of academia. But that is part of Wikipedia because we assume nothing about the readers and we assume nothing about the writers. We insist that there be a citation for everything. And because of these citations, we can do quality control and fact-checking.
0: How do you guys deal with, uh, say, malicious edits, people that are – clearly putting in false information or, or things like that.
1: <laughs> we with a lot of sophistication. So misconduct comes in many forms and we categorize different kinds of misconduct. There can be misconduct to to vandalize, to just be rude. So right. that's fairly right. fairly easy. We we kick those people out. There can be misconduct in which someone's actually sharing active propaganda. Maybe this happens. We don't think that that's usually usually the major problem although there are some countries and some corporate players that that are actively trying to put in propaganda what's more likely is somebody who is either misrepresenting a source but very dedicated to it and they're they're an outsider or in a small community and they don't realize that they're against the mainstream so there'll be some some conflict where they're they're s- sincerely ignorant ab- about the issue and in in these cases we enforce civility we try to determine is the viewpoint they're spreading is that actually a fringe view that we need to document, or is it just so so outside the media ecosystem that we don't even need to include it? And in the, in these cases, we have we have a mediation process. Got it. So well, I won't I won't say that it's usually because of of bad behavior that misinformation comes into Wikipedia. We we try to we try to respect anything that somebody adds if they're sincere and they're following this this citation process. Got
0: it. The one thing I used to I really liked about um, news what is it, newsroom, um, which I thought was a phenomenal TV show with with how they kind of, how real they kind of made it. You know, they were very adamant that when a source came in, you had to have two verifiable, verifiable sources before you released it, something out. Um, mm-hmm. And I like I'm, I'm a little more at ease now with with Wikipedia because the joke was, oh, well, you can't really believe what you believe what you read on the internet, and Wikipedia is just you know, it's a lot of garbage. Which, hearing that you guys go through the dedication and really really do your diligence and, and fact checking is, is it's comforting <laughs> um, how would you advise readers to use wikipedia appropriately so to speak
1: wikipedia is a great place to get oriented to, to a topic where you're less familiar or you want to refamiliarize familiarize yourself if somebody is doing serious research what i recommend is navigate to the wikipedia article on the subject go directly to the bottom. You don't even need to read the Wikipedia article and check the list of references that are cited. Uh, See, this is supposed to be a survey of the most important sources that anybody in Wikipedia's social network, anybody in the community has ever found. And as soon as somebody finds an important source, they either add it to the article or stage it for inclusion by going to the discussion page, which is where we, we work out issues with the article. And if you check the references in Wikipedia, for popular topics where there's a lot of people watching it, chances are this is uh, this is a good review of the major sources that exist in the field. And it, it can happen that it, it's missing sources. This means that no one in Wikipedia's network has either suggested this source or it's problematic for some other reason. And if somebody's really serious, they can go to the talk page of the Wikipedia article, post a message, and say, can somebody review the sources with me? Can somebody help me interpret the cited sources? Or can somebody even do the original research of, of going out into different media channels and look for additional sources? I'd like some support. In the same way that libraries have reference desks where you can ask a librarian to help you with your research, we provide these kind of services in Wikipedias as, as peer-to-peer volunteer services. Really? Uh, so For, for any, any given subject, yes, you're, you're quite welcome to do this. When we're doing research, we do ask that people stay focused on the Wikipedia article, so we can't help, help students do their, their research papers off Wikipedia. But if the student, as part of their diligence in, in research, says, I'm checking the Wikipedia article, can you review this with me, then the researchers in Wikipedia would be happy to help you do that.
0: That is an awesome component that I did not know existed with Wikipedia.
1: There's, there's thousands of people, tens of thousands of people doing all kinds of activities on Wikipedia <laughs> all over the world every day. Right. It's an active community.
0: How do you guys divvy up your editing responsibilities as far as um, specific content? Are there just groups of people who are dedicated to, say, you know, all the sports facts and group of people that are historical people and group of people that are set up for art?
1: All right. There is a process. Uh, different people would explain it in different ways. I'm going to give one explanation. Okay. So um, among the, the the volunteers, I'm going to say there's kind of four categories of volunteers. Uh, one category is people who do any kind of off-wiki partnerships. I'm not going to talk about this, but these are the people who would go to like a library and ask for special collections in person and do some kind of negotiation, Got it. Uh, Got it. museums and these kind of things. There's another group. I'm not going to talk about these, but that the coders, the people who are doing software development, right. who are absolutely right. fundamental to Wikipedia. They need to be in here, but they tend to stay away from administration, management, content creation. They have this very useful skill set, and they're, they're not part of this process either. Got it. The last two are the ones that I, I think we should talk about. One is content creators, and this is what people think of when they think of Wikipedia editors. These are the people who are actually reading original sources, summarizing those sources in their own words, adding sentences and citations to Wikipedia. They might be doing other things, like curating public domain images or Wikimedia compatible copyright-compatible images Copyright meaning compatible with the open movement. We could be a free and open resource, so we need copyright-compatible content to go into it. Uh, And then the the fourth category are people who do administrative functions inside Wikipedia to make it work. And these are also volunteers. So these are people who would – I talked about mediating disputes. If somebody uh, is having a conflict about editing, somebody needs to mediate those disputes to keep things civil. If somebody – it comes into a dispute, and their problem is that they're new and they need training. Someone's got to connect them to help resources or talk them through to these kind of things. There's a lot of other administrative functions, like watching for problems. Wikipedia is a digitally native platform, and if, for example, we see that there's a lot of traffic going to a particular article, it spikes up, and that traffic's not typical – then that can be a cue it, it, for the person who's doing the monitoring to say, this is popular for some reason. We need to deploy people or rally people around to come improve this article to respond to something that's happening in the news cycle Got or whatever it. the case may be, whatever's driving people here. And another way I'll explain this briefly, any role that you can think of that exists in a conventional traditional publishing house, that role also exists in the Wikipedia community and it's done by volunteers. Got it.
0: So it's, is it all volunteer basis or are there people that are actually paid for their positions?
1: There's a handful of people like me in the world, say 2030, not, not very many at all who are employed by some organization to facilitate the transfer of knowledge between Wikipedia and that organization. I'm pulling information out of Wikipedia. People at my university research it. I'm taking information mostly out of the library or things that are getting published at the university. And I, I help people put that into Wikipedia as well. So there's different museums or libraries or research institutes that are doing this. That's not at all common. I, I wish that it was as common to hire staff Wikipedians as organizations right. or, or comfortable hiring a staff Facebook person or a staff <laughs> Twitter person. Uh, but we're, we're just not there yet. There's a there's about 500 people who are employed at something called the Weekend Media Foundation. They do different kinds of administration, including pulling in donations. If I had to say what, what I wish the role of the Wikimedia Foundation was, I, I wish that they would be filling in content gaps, like getting participants from lower and middle-income countries mm. who are underrepresented in Wikipedia and focusing on software development. They, they have a lot of ideas. It's a, it's a rapidly growing organization. They do many things, but something that they do not do is get involved in content creation because that's in the editorial domain of the volunteer community.
0: Got it. So you, you, two things I wanna jump into. One is you mentioned civil um, and and settling disputes civilly. Yes. Is there a way that we can utilize Wikipedia to have more civil discussions, to to encourage more civil debate and, and actual conversation as opposed to the typical screaming matches that people turn into when you have a conflict of opinion, so to speak?
1: I can say that if anybody wants to examine civility at scale and what it looks like in online communities, if, if a person like that is serious and they don't look at Wikipedia, they're missing something big because Wikipedia, the community has, has talked about this since the beginning. What it, what, is, what is our code for civility? Do we even have a code for civility? And we, we've always said yes. There's certain kinds of behavior that's appropriate and certain kinds of behavior that's inappropriate. There's other platforms Social media platforms where any sort of behavior <laughs> seems 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 to be acceptable. Yeah. And in Wikipedia, we are nice to each other, and if if someone can't be nice, we'll very quickly block them. You have to you have to say nice things to other people, and we're we're quick to forgive. It's a lot like the Catholic Church. If you do something wrong and you go and you, you confess what you did and you say I your pen. Yes, I, I do my penance. I'll send no more. Then you're you well. You're welcome to come come back to Wikipedia. Very quickly, quick to forgive.
0: How how do you guys but, block uh, people, if I may ask? Or is that we, a, is that a kind of a? Have,
1: I told you that there were in, admin an in administrative role. That's mm-hmm. one of the four categories. We actually designated some people in with a title called administrator. Sometimes called a janitor. These are not <laughs> these are not people who are necessarily leaders. In fact, they're discouraged from leadership, but they're the ones who will close conversations after everyone's had their say. They're the ones who say, okay, it's time to to close this conversation and get consensus. They're also the ones who at the end of a dispute, we have have a courts, a judicial system in Wikipedia. It escalates different (laughs) tiers and administrators will close a dispute and say, because of your behavior, you merit a block. I, I send it to you to one day or seven days or a month or a year to cool down, depending on what the person did. And Severity it's the always, crime. yes, yes. And it's supposed to be rehabilitation whenever possible. We never want to kick people off the project. We just want to have them pause, think about things, and, and have them reflect on our code of civility. Right. Please quit calling people names and please respect the community consensus. Got it.
0: Uh, you have kind of mentioned a few things about the, the origins and the principles or guiding principles of Wikipedia um, one of which you know, I believe if I recall correctly there's seven if I did my research right one is neutrality faith mm. that con- uh, contributors are participating in a sincere and deliberate fashion to yes. keep within the defined parameters of an encyclopedia because that's what yes. Wikipedia is it's just a yes. very broad spectrum encyclopedia yes um, as you said re- before, respect copyright laws, um, consider the other rules to be flexible. What does that mean per se?
1: Ignore all rules. That's that's the other <laughs> name for that particular okay. rule. So that means that we're in a rapidly changing technological and social environment. This is an amazing opportunity for people from every country in the world discussing every topic to come, come meet each other. And we try to come up with rules because the point of the rules is to encourage civility, to encourage quality of content. And also because every day is somebody's first day in Wikipedia. Somebody comes in, they want to edit things and we've got to give them an appropriate amount of documentation and training so that they don't need to study for hours and hours before they make their first edit. We want them to make their first edit as soon as possible. And if it's correct, that's fine. If it's incorrect, we want to give them the least amount of information that will help them most quickly understand what's going on. Because yeah. of this, uh, there's all kinds of circumstances, new circumstances that happen, where we might have rules written, but somebody does a good thing, and it's apparent that it's a good thing. So we don't enforce rules unnecessarily. If somebody's improving the encyclopedia, and they did that by breaking a rule, which still happens with with some regularity. <laughs> we give them a pass. We, t- we talk about it. Maybe we tweak the rules, but we definitely don't kick them out and we don't undo what they did.
0: Got it. Uh, that kind of seems like you, there's, you, you look at things as rules as written and rules as intended and play with it. How, it, as long as it's, as you said, progressing Wikipedia, that that's all that really matters is as long as it's progressing in a good fashion and in a good, in a good direction. Um, that's
1: yes, exactly.
0: On a personal question, since you kind of brought up social media, do you find it to be a, a, a curse or a blessing or kind of in the middle?
1: I favor so I, one question is, is Wikipedia social media? And I would say it's a, it's a very social environment. Right. So we don't, we don't do the the mass sharing Wikipedia people right. still arrive by Wikipedia because they're searching for information, not because they're subscribed to a feed. So that's, that's a major difference. Right. In, in social media platforms, I, I re- the conventional ones, Twitter and, Twitter and Facebook, Facebook yeah. Yes, I I regret the lack of quality control when people are making factual claims and, and the speed with which misinformation can spread around and, and cause problems to society. Of course, I, I don't want censorship, but I think we need to have a, a serious conversation in society about what it means when, when dangerous misinformation is spread around. And I, I, I really don't want designated government officials saying that this is right and this is wrong i'm I'm very scared of that and i don't have answers for this but at at the same time there are such a there's such a thing as shared objective truth and this is what we need for society and i don't feel like twitter and facebook acknowledge the existence of shared objective truth whereas wikipedia does agreed
0: yeah i i just want to kind of get your your feel on the 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 big three so to speak of social media outlets and and I agree wholeheartedly. There's, There's got to be a, a way that we can prove or at least consensusly agree to what is objectively true and yes. what's clearly fact. And as you pointed out, it's easier for a false claim to spread than it is for truth. And I think part mm-hmm. of that's kind of the dialogue we've, we've generated as a as society at large is – it's easier to put somebody on the defensive. Like we've kind of grown into this mentality that when we have a disagreement with somebody, the first thing somebody does is make a very obnoxious false claim to put the other person in defense, which you know, whether it's a claim of calling them a racist or a fascist, you put them on a defense and now they can't combat you with the, the typical debate form of, you know, here's the fact, this is what we do. You put them in a position they have to either defend the claim that was just made to them or ignore it. And then the you know, the people that are listening are going to say, well, is he ignoring it because it's true or is he ignoring it because it's, it's clearly false. And, you know, why is he being so defensive if it's not true kind yeah. of thing? So everybody's got their own perspective on it. So I agree that there, we have to, as a community at large, figure out a way to back what's objectively truthful and kind of dismiss what is, Clearly, intentionally false information.
1: Every every conversation in Wikipedia is moderated, and it's it's community peer to peer transparently moderated. So if somebody says that some somebody's inappropriate, then there's somebody else to say why is it inappropriate, and then we create a documentation record. Got it. So these Got kinds it. of Ad hominem attack: somebody calling somebody else a name on other social media platforms. If that happens in Wikipedia, there's going to be some kind of judgment. Is it legitimate or is it illegitimate? So, in illegitimate, someone just calling somebody a racist to to uh, derail their argument. So that part of that part of it's illegitimate. But there are different kinds of biases and mm. and various complaints in Wikipedia, especially again from the from lower and middle income countries, people who don't speak English as a, a native language but want to have their country's perspective represented in Wikipedia. They may not be able to speak very well, and, and somebody's got to advocate for these people if they say, I'm being treated slandard. unfairly. Yes. Or, or, or if there's just institutional bias. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for example, I said that we always cite sources in Wikipedia, uh, but supposing you're from a country that doesn't have a strong media tradition, and there's no country that, that has stronger media, more media output than the United States so united states is definitely overrepresented and privileged in wikipedia right. but there's right. about half the countries in the world don't don't have robust robust media it's hard to find a newspaper of record for example that represents the country or that really has the esteem of all the people and also we, we still struggle in wikipedia to get access to non english language resources in english wikipedia so that's that's another kind of bias that we experience is
0: there or are there people that will translate stuff for you to kind of help cultivate and and build up that end of Wikipedia?
1: Definitely. Wikipedia is is rather robust in about a hundred different languages. If you go to a Wikipedia article, there's a a menu for you to access versions of the article in other languages. This is, this is present on every article. So you can navigate, you can start in English and navigate to the other languages. There's coordinated efforts. I, for example, do these at the university of Virginia to translate information, I I particularly translate or coordinate the translation of medical information into into other languages. So what happens is we we start with English language information, which is which is dominant mm-hmm. in the in the field mm-hmm. of medicine. There there's also some German, some Chinese, some Korean. Got we it. we get these other languages from time to time, but English is is definitely dominant. We try to find that shared objective truth, <laughs> make it as neutral and easy to translate as possible. And boy, with with COVID. For example, there was a lot of funny terminology that's been really hard to translate, and a lot of
0: fast-moving opinion and, and thoughts and, and decisions yeah. and things like that. Yeah, you know.
1: yeah. We started with social distancing, for example. That was a term that that came out, and actually, we don't want people socially isolated. We had right. to we had <laughs> that. You just need to be physically distant from people. Yes. <laughs> you, uh these kind of things it's it's when someone's making up technical terms like this and then you want to translate those across cultures that's that's a real challenge and the only way that you can do this again is you have to find someone in the local community who for, knows english or knows the issue right and they themselves have to coordinate with their own community how what's what's the appropriate way to culturally Say and describe this in that community. There's no other way to do this.
0: I would imagine translating information from one language to English is easier than transforming or transferring English to other languages because, face it, the English language is insanely complex <laughs> and so many rules and exceptions that contradict each other. But that's for another conversation. Um, you mentioned before, and it kind of you've kind of touched on it a little bit already a few times what exactly are university partnerships and how do they work?
1: There's very few of these in the world. And again, I would, I would like more of these to exist, but for university partnership to work, there has to be some kind of motivation for the university to put content in Wikipedia. The story that I tell is that if you put information in Wikipedia, then you'll achieve something called communication impact and communication impact is when you deliver information to people who need it, and it's useful and informs their decisions. So when I share medical information on Wikipedia or whatever it is that I'm I'm doing at the university, I'm also using Wikipedia's tools, which are part of the open movement, available to everybody. You don't need an account to access these, to track how many times users have viewed a given Wikipedia article. So, for example, if we have a class of students, there's 30 students and each student edits a Wikipedia article, this doesn't need to be about medicine. It can be about whatever the students care about when they're learning research as undergraduates. So, all these students have have edited a Wikipedia article. I I set it up. I push the button that generates the report a month later, which says how many people have read all these articles that the students have have developed and improved. So, when this is a classroom experience, that may not be part of A communication campaign. This may just be to show students what are what are their possibilities for sharing information that's important to them. But in the case of, say, COVID, for example, the stakes are a bit higher. Mm -hmm. And when I'm pulling traffic reports about who's reading which Wikipedia articles on COVID, I'm I'm also telling the story that there's a public health campaign at my university. There's a public health campaign. In, in my country, there's a global public health campaign. We're trying to share this information. And people are making decisions. If you're trying to educate the public on, uh, on COVID, do you buy radio time? Do you put up billboards? Do you hand out pamphlets? Do you buy ads on Facebook? Yeah. Do you set up a website and try to drive traffic to your website in the hopes that people will be informed by this website? How do you invest your, your, your limited resources in educating the public? And I think that part of the investment for any major education campaign should include investment in Wikipedia. If you put the key messages in Wikipedia, then you're sure to reach the people who we already know are going to Wikipedia for information.
0: I think it's pretty safe to say that most people, when they look up something, when they quote unquote Google something, one of the first links they're going to click on is a Wikipedia page. I mean, that's one of the things that I've done throughout last year, you know, people arguing that wearing a mask is it's against their rights well you know my research Mm -hmm. into that through the wikipedia page i found jacobson versus massachusetts from 1906 that was a supreme court uh decision that basically said the government absolutely has the right to tell you to wear a mask now shut up and go away Mm -hmm. so and
1: what a great way to surface this kind of history (laughs) right yeah tapped into the archives I bet you could find original court documents somewhere or another
0: well, that's the one thing I do like about um, Wikipedia is as you pointed out there's there's the footnotes there's you know links directly in mm-hmm. the articles that take you to other pages and I'd rather fall down that rabbit hole than a YouTube rabbit hole because it's it makes yes. more, more more productive use of my I, time yeah. um, jumping into a little bit more about you and and your travels and things like that you've sure. in your life goals, you said you wanted to live in five major cities so far you've covered Seattle, New York city, and I'm going to butcher the name of it. Uh, Varanasi in Italy or sorry, in yes. um, India, what other yes. cities would you ideally like to round out of that goal?
1: So I, I set these goals and maybe I published them on my website and maybe it's, <laughs> it's time to update it. When, when I, when I was younger, I thought traveling is a sign of of success and that if you, if you travel, this is a good thing and something to seek out. I've come to come to reflect on this. I through Wikipedia, I meet people all over the world and we have conversations. There's now video chat available. So if I want to, I can collaborate with anybody editing anything in Wikipedia in any country. And I'm happy to make friends and visit other cultures mostly online through reading and these kind of things. <laughs> Got it. I, I I encourage if somebody gets an opportunity to travel, I would encourage them to, to do this and, and see what it's about. I, I've grown concerned about climate change and the impact of, of travel, especially air travel, on on on, on our the global environment. environment. Right. And the, the fact is there's just not enough resources and it's too hard on the environment to expect that everybody can travel for leisure as much as they want. We really have to to limit travel. And so I'm I'm glad that I I got to do this and I wouldn't fault anybody else for doing a little travel, but I would just say be considerate. If if somebody needs to travel, then they should, but it, it just shouldn't be a recreation activity.
0: I agree with that because now we can, at least until we can get to more global-friendly travel, uh, electric planes and things of that nature, electric propulsion. Um, Let's see what happens. Exciting times. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how quick Tesla was able to advance the, the interest and, and the power, so to speak, of, a, of an electric car. Um, kind of pulling, again, from your, your little list of, of life goals um, one of them was to teach chemistry to young people for a year. Have you accomplished that?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> one of the websites I made, even while I was an undergraduate, I was putting my chemistry class notes, trying to set up a chemistry encyclopedia <laughs> on my, my pitiful little website. This was even before WordPress. I wrote this thing in HTML. And since since I made those goals, I've, I've started publishing a lot in, in Wikipedia. And there's a, a project Subject matter communities in Wikipedia—we call these wiki projects—is people who gather to do edit, edit a particular field together. There's a wiki project chemistry. I've had very good experiences with them. And what do you know? I feel like I'm teaching chemistry at scale these days. It's not just about me going into a classroom and speaking words. Right. I'm I'm pushing to the world. There's
0: there's engagement and and a, a greater, a broader, reach so to speak.
1: I expect most of the, the chemistry students in the world know of Wikipedia. Yes. It's, it's just a great way to reach a lot of people.
0: I'm going to to jump into some of my, we'll call it ridiculous question time. Um, let's do it. You can answer, you can pass, you can whatever. So the oh, first one is, go. <laughs> do you have a favorite microwavable food?
1: I cook every day. Uh, I, I cook my own meals. I'm living off mostly... I cook uh, a starch, so rice or potatoes. Sometimes I bake my own bread. I make beans uh, almost every day. I eat tofu, and I eat this on fresh kale that I chop up. So that's kind of the staple of my diet. I, I mix it up a lot, but this idea of fresh, fresh leaves and and something starchy and, and a protein—that's what I do. I eat a vegan diet. Got it. I don't don't use a microwave.
0: <laughs> I, I everybody's got their own way to to, to maintain their happiness and. Hmm. i i agree with that i wish i had that kind of discipline <laughs> um my answer to that question would be at my fallback of uncle ben's bagged rice it's just easy and it's not it. Great taste. Yes. it's not incredibly horrible to eat so next question uh describe your sense of humor in one word
1: Encyclopedic, I suppose. <laughs> if, I, if, if I tell a joke or do anything that abuses me, it has something to do with reference information, which isn't isn't what most people's humor is. We have fun in Wikipedia.
0: It's, all it's a fun
1: place. I, I wouldn't be there if it wasn't fun. Right.
0: I, I think my, most people classify my sense of humor as dark, and that's just based off of my experiences in EMS and, and watching the real... Human interaction to a much closer degree than most people.
1: It's very real life. I, I, I saw that about you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not something I would want to do. I like this fantasy world I'm in. <laughs>
0: um, have you ever been attacked or bitten by an animal? And if so, what and why?
1: I got a very good answer. Uh, Syrian hamster. Uh, so, Syrian hamsters, I've edited a lot of Wikipedia articles about these animals. This is the familiar pet hamster. Okay. Uh, also called a golden hamster or a teddy bear hamster. Got it. They live for about about two years. Very friendly animals, mm-hmm. domesticated. But just about every hamster at some point in his life, it's got a good bite in him, one good bite. And I've had a lot of the a lot of these hamsters <laughs> and everyone's nipped me at least once.
0: <laughs> I I can attest to that. My hamsters took a nice chunk out of my finger when I was a kid. And um, mm. my, my normal go to story about being bit by an animal uh, has to do with a duck when I was about six years old and I was running um, I lived in an apartment complex and one of my best friends when I was a kid lived in the apartment directly behind me so there was this nice little Mm -hmm. courtyard between our buildings and my mother called me over and there was always ducks always ducks around and I thought I made a nice wide berth around the mama duck and her babies and clearly it wasn't wide enough and as my mother was picking me up over the, the railing, the mama duck kind of flew and she literally bit my ass and I had a nice little welt just because she thought I got too close. In midair.
1: In midair are talking about. So you're just hanging <laughs> in midair. mid-air you... Oh yeah.
0: She took off hey, and okay. she got Like me, a target. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's my, uh that that's my duck story. Stay
1: away from, stay away from mama's babies.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, if you could bring back one famous person from the dead, who would it be?
1: Wow! That's, wow! That's one
0: of the, those wild ones because there's so many options.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to bring back somebody recent. It's just uh, too much of an opportunity to bring back a historical figure. Yeah. Gosh, uh, Cicero from the from the Roman Republic, Marcus Tullius Cicero. Any He's a, a, a lawyer from the peak of Rome and an excellent documentarian. Okay, He was very long, long-winded, wrote a lot in very, very precise terms. There was a lot, lot out of the Roman Republic. And we haven't yet come to the day in Wikipedia. There's going to be a day when we've digitized the entire corpus of ancient texts, so it's not the case that all Latin literature, or all Roman Republic literature is available free right. to read online. We're, we're going to come to that day. But if I had to think of my favorite writer of that time, it would be this guy. And I would bring him back to get him to write more.
0: <laughs> I, I, Again, there, there's so many people that I would love to to bring back, whether for selfish reasons to talk to or, or because I think they have a greater, they would have a great impact. I'll go with a little more modern and go with Nikola Tesla. Just because yeah, he probably. was such a visionary, granted it yes. was only about a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. um, but he was such a visionary, and and literally the things that he thought of that people thought were insane, yes, were you doing now? I mean, with cell phones is kind of a concept that he threw out, and it just I would love to see what he would do with our technology now with everything that he thought. So he's he's always my like go to for
1: in a friendlier society nowadays i hope uh, yeah. he, he died in,
0: in p- unfortunate poverty.
1: circumstances the, the more I,
0: the more i research about him the more i dislike edison
1: <laughs>
0: mm. um the more i find out edison was was quite the bastard <laughs> uh, well, let's corporate see
1: versus evil guy for sure yeah. yeah
0: well on that note where can people find you and, and do a little more research and, and maybe get in touch with you
1: If they need to find me, they can look for me online in Wikipedia. I go by Blue Raspberry. My name's Lane Raspberry. But instead of just me, I'd like to invite anybody listening who's curious about Wikipedia to just go into the website, post to any of the help or welcome forums, and talk with any Wikipedian. I'm a typical person in the platform. Everybody there is friendly. And if you want to edit or research something, there's people who will help you if you just go into Wikipedia and ask. Awesome.
0: I, I love that. Not so much self-promotion, but just promotion in general. So I thank mm. you very much for your time. I definitely was educated and, and greatly appreciate the information you were able to share. And I thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon and send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.